You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're going to read a a passage of scripture. We're going to do a lot of reading today. Uh, I typically try to keep it short, but I feel like we need to to read this whole thing in its context. And uh, this is a story that you've probably heard in Sunday school before. And uh, I think sometimes when we hear things over and over again, we get the gist of it and we miss parts of it that we should really apply to our life. So let's look at this Daniel chapter 6 verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps and to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should, should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Let's stop there for a second. Let me tell you what's happening. Daniel is one of God's chosen people, the people of Israel, and they've been captured by the Babylonian empire. And then Daniel earned a place of esteem in the king's eyes there. You see this in chapter 5. Um, And Daniel interpreted dreams for the king, and he was given promises to rule and reign. And then that kingdom was taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire. And so we see Darius, the king of the the Medo-Persian Empire, he sees what's happening. This is right after he's taken over, and he sets up different rulers over the kingdom. Make sense? But Daniel, who's one of God's chosen people, has earned his favor and earned the prior king's favor, and he sets him up over a portion of this so that the people who are over parts of land have to report to Daniel. And over the three people who are, Daniel's one of them, the king liked Daniel the most. And it says there, look at this again, verse 3, because of an excellent spirit was in him, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So here you have this non Israelite, non-people of God king comes in and he favors Daniel over all other people in the kingdom. And he plans to give him the kingdom. When a king plans to give you the kingdom, it's a pretty big deal. I don't know if anybody thought of that in like realistic terms. I know sometimes Bible verses, we all kind of turn into a fairy tale in our head. This really happened. This is a real person. Daniel is a real person. Things really happen. And Daniel is in a position to have it all, to rule over it all. He's the king's favorite. Okay, get what what I'm seeing here? I love this, though. It says an excellent spirit was in him. This is just a side note that I think is great. An excellent spirit was in him, so he plans to give him the kingdom. I love, how many of us love that person? Maybe you, you work with them who just complains about everything. They're the opposite of an excellent spirit in them. You guys know what I'm talking about? That person's just bitter and angry at the world. But yet somehow they think they should, like, get the next big promotion. No, nobody seems to know who I'm talking about. I worked with this person for a long time. She would come in. I worked in a group home. She would come in every day, 10 minutes into the job. And she sit, I worked in a group home. I didn't have a whole lot of physical labor. I got to sit there and watch, watch the news with my residents. She'd sit down and she'd say, oh, I'm so tired. I can't wait for this day to be done. We just started 15 minutes ago. I would hear that same phrase at least 30 times throughout the day. I'm not exaggerating. I would hear that all day. And then every time there was somebody who would get a raise, she'd, com- she'd complain because she didn't get the raise. I'm thinking, you hate your job. I think you hate your life. Why would the boss give you the next promotion when you don't want to be here? 
Like, you, you guys know what I'm talking about? No, I was in Walmart in Miami, Florida this last week, but I walked into this Walmart and instantly thought, this is the dirtiest Walmart I've ever been in my life, ever. And I'm in Miami, Florida. You can't get dolphin stuff in Pennsylvania too often. It's like you got two choices for hats, if you're lucky. And usually they don't fit my head because i got a big head. It's just true. So I'm in Miami, Florida, and my wife's like, we got to get some dolphin stuff here at Walmart because it'll be cheap, and it's in Miami for the girls, for the kids. You, uh, who wants to spend $40 on a jersey for a, a four-year-old because they're going to grow out of it in, in six months anyway? So we're in Walmart. We're like, we'll get this for 10 bucks. We asked one employee who was in the middle of a conversation with another employee, kind of ignoring me, and I'm just kind of standing there in, like, the kids' section, like, looking at them. And they finally look over at me. I'm like, I'm just wondering if you have any uh, children's Miami Dolphins clothes. And uh, they look at each other like, um, let's go ask this guy. And the guy's, like, walking. He's walking down, pushing a cart, another employee. And the first, first employee goes, hey, uh, do you know where the kids' stuff for the Dolphins is? The guy literally puts up his hood, and he goes, I don't work here. <laughs> just kidding. I'm like, that was kind of awkward. But uh, he's like, I'm just kidding with you. Uh, let me see. And so he goes and he yells for this other girl employee. And so meanwhile, this is the third employee that I've gone up to. And she goes, mm, it would be in the kids section right over there. And just points me back to the kids section. And the other guy goes, yeah, the kids section over there. So none of them showed me, like, they pretend they don't work there. Nobody shows me anything. You can't, there's no excellent spirit in that. I'm not saying, I love in Scripture that we see that everything we do we're supposed to do to the Lord. Half of us wonder why we don't get the promotion when we don't walk around with an excellent spirit. We see an example here. Daniel, he's not in his home country. He's been taken over. He's been forced into exile. And he still walks in an excellent spirit that proves to the king he's worthy of the entire country. Some of us need to learn how to walk in an excellent spirit in our workplace. Some of us need to learn how to walk in an excellent spirit in the midst of exile, in the midst of persecution, because then God looks at us and says, okay, maybe I can give you the whole kingdom now. You've been walking in an excellent spirit. I can give you the whole kingdom now. Let's, let's stop complaining that we don't have the kingdom. Let's start living the, the excellent spirit. It's just a side note. That's not my main point for today, but I saw that. And I'm like, wow, that, that hits me. Maybe it hits you. It hits me. I want to be a person that walks in an excellent spirit in the midst of every situation. It's good stuff here. Let's move on to verse 4. Then the high officials and the set drafts sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came into agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All high officials of the kingdom and perfects and satraps and counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance to enforce an injury or injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So these other jealous leaders see Daniel and say, we can't find any fault in him. The only thing we know he does is he worships his God. 
That's the only thing we know that we can maybe switch around and let it backfire on them. So they convinced the king to sign this thing saying, for 30 days, everybody in the kingdom could only worship you. And the king, sure, that sounds like a great idea. Well, if everybody's agreed, all the officials and the governors and the set traps and everything, yes, 30 days, me. So he signs it. And I love that it says this. Look at the very last verse, verse 10. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went and found his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. David, or Daniel finds out this has been signed. He, says, he sees that there's a law saying you can't pray. And Daniel says, I do this every day. This is what I do. I'll do it again. And so he goes and he prays in his house with the windows open as he had done previously. See, Daniel valued his prayer and his worship to God above his position in the kingdom, above the thing that he had established with Darius. He valued it above his own life. He saw what had been written and said, I value this more. I value my time and worship more. This is what I do, and I won't change it. Let's keep looking here. Then these men, verse 11, came by agreement and found Daniel making a petition and a plea before his God. And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone that makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, and the injunction you have signed and makes his petition, pe- makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Look at this. He set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. I want to point out something. That last thing there sounds like the king, who's king. You think if you're king, you can do anything you want, right? So that verse always confused me. Why is he king? And then it says he can't change the rules. He is the king who wrote the rules. Like, it's not like you have to go to parliament or, you know, any other congress or anything and get things changed. And that time you're king. You just do what you want. That's what king meant to them, correct? And so I look into this a little bit and I find out it doesn't mean that he couldn't change his mind. But when you're a Medo-Persian king, you're considered to be the voice of the god Ormuzd, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct or not. It's Ormuzd with a random D at the end of a word that shouldn't have a D in my opinion. Anyway, but when you're considered to be the voice of the god, it shows that you don't, it was supposed to be, it was a major embarrassment. You were considered the voice of the chief god for the people. So he could have said, mm, my bad, I'm not really the voice of the Ormans. I'm, I like Daniel and I want to save him. He could have done that, but he chose not to because it would have been an embarrassment to him. If you're the voice of the God, you don't change it. You could have, but you don't. He didn't want to. See, there's a difference. When I first read this, I'm like, well, he couldn't change it. It's just the rules. No, he could have. He just chose not to because of pride. Pride. 
He chose not to because it would affect the way the, the kingdom views him then. It said he set his mind to deliver Daniel, but when it came down to an issue of pride, he didn't change, he, he didn't set him free, he didn't revoke the rules or anything. His pride stopped him from rescuing his friend and his most trusted leader. This isn't like some random guy that you're like, oh, that's sad. I wish he wouldn't get caught by this rule that I made. It's his most trusted advisor, the one he wants to give the kingdom to. It's a big deal. King Darius sees his most trusted advisor about to get thrown into the den of lions for a rule that he just created the day before about praying. Pretty ridiculous. And his pride said, nah, I'm going to have to sit this one out and worry. It's his pride that set the trap, and it's his pride that pulled the trigger on the trap. It was because of pride that he let those men come around him and say, hey, this is a good idea. Nobody should worship anybody else for 30 days except for you. And it's only pride that says, yeah, that's a wonderful idea. Let's do this. And it's only pride that says, I could change this rule, but I won't because then I won't look like the voice of the God. His pride set the trap and pride pulled the trigger here with Darius. Verse 16. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace. Look at this. His king, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in the tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God set his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up from the den. So Daniel was taken up from the den, and no kind, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, this is really bizarre, check this out. The king commanded, those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones into pieces. That's a graphic piece of information for you this morning. So, the king doesn't sleep. Look at that. He went to his palace. He's in palace and he's distraught because his friend's in the pit that he pretty much put him in there. And he doesn't sleep. He finds no rest. So he gets up early the next morning. He removes the stone. He yells down, has your living God delivered you continuously? The one you serve continuously. Has he delivered you? And Daniel's like, yeah. Yeah, he's found no fault in me and no fault. I have no fault with you either. See, the thing I see about this is Daniel goes into a pit of lions and he gets rest. The king of the entire country finds no rest. See, you and I, when we serve our God, when we live a lifestyle that's dedicated to prayer above the pit, before we get to the pit, Daniel... I'm going to point this out right now. One thing you might not see, well, you won't see in the scripture, you don't see Daniel crying out in prayer in the pit. You don't see that. 
you see Daniel laying down before God three times a day before he, why he's in his, in his nice house, why he's a ruler of the kingdom. You see Daniel dedicating himself to a lifestyle of prayer before the pit. So when you and I live in that lifestyle of valuing prayer and worship, of worshiping our God, we can be in a pit and still find rest. Other kings of other kingdoms can sit in their palaces and on their thrones and find no peace, find no rest, live a life in distraught because they don't have the God that you and I serve. Daniel goes with the lions and he has rest and peace. And other kings don't find it. We don't see Daniel panicking on his way down to the pit. Let's just be real for a second. If this was me and my friend and king made a ridiculous rule that I broke because I love my God, and they're about to throw me into a pit of lions, first thing I'm doing is freaking out to Darius. Uh, Darius, change this law. Then before I'm like, I'm like hanging on to the edge of the pit. I'm like screaming, right? You, you, know, you know you would be too. You're about to be thrown into a pit full of lions. You're screaming, Darius, come on, man. Help me out. You can save me. You're the king. They're not kings. You're the king. I'd be freaking out. You don't see Daniel freaking out. You don't see Daniel making his plea to Darius. You don't see Daniel trying to look at the other leaders. Say, come on, man, just forgive me. I'll, I'll let you be the chief of the other leaders. Let's, let's, let's figure out a way to remove this law. Nine times out of ten, when you and I are on our way into a troubled spot, when we're what we think is the pit, we're looking at everybody around us, the kings around us, the people that have say around us first and saying, hey, you can help me out with this. Hey, you're, you're, uh, I don't like my job situation. Hey, boss, can you help me out with this? Or I made a big mistake here. Uh, can you help me out with it? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? We instantly look to the people around us to see if they can help us. Daniel doesn't do that. We don't see Daniel making a plea to the king because he's already three times a day been making pleas to his king. We don't see him crying out for Darius's help. We don't see him crying out at all. We don't see him panicking when he's in the pit. I feel like the majority of us, let's just be real, live a life where we start to pray and panic and ask God for attention when we're in the midst of the pit. Let's just be real. It's what we do. The rest of it, when we're in the palace, when we're rolling over kingdoms, we're eating food. We're just living the life. We're doing our own thing. The moment things fall apart, we're about to lose our job, or we made a mistake at work, or, or family's sick, or we're sick, or, or something bad's happening, and we think the world's about to cave in on us. Then we start to live, we're, we're falling on our faces right away. God, I dedicate the next seven days to straight prayer and fasting if you get me out of this pit. Let's be real, that's how we are. We lay down and we say, God, help me now. Help me now. But then once we climb back out of the pit, thank you, God, that was nice. And then we just do our own thing. We just, thank you, God, for the job. Thank you, God, for the health. Thank you, God. And we just do our thing. Daniel doesn't do that. He lives his life of dedication to prayer and worship before he gets there. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations and languages that dwell on the earth. That's a pretty big writing list. I don't, I don't know if how many nations there were at that time, but he's writing to everybody he can possibly write to. This is what he says. Peace be multiplied to you, and I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. 
He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So then it says, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That king sees what happens with Daniel and makes a decree that everybody should know and fear and love this God. That he's the one that endures forever. He's the one that's living. He's the one that will never have an end to his kingdom. He's the one that saves and delivers. He's the one that rescues. He's the one that does signs and wonders and miracles. This is the true God. This is the true king. See, I want, I want us to see something this morning as we, as we look and we become a church that values prayer, that values a lifestyle of prayer before we get to the pit, before we get to the troubling places in our lives, that we see that worship is something that we should be excited about and prayer is something we should be bold about. I want, I want you to see this. There's a difference between the other kings in this world that we tend to serve and the king that we see Daniel serve. See, Daniel had already seen other kingdoms on this earth collapse. And so he chose to value, instead of the laws of the current king, he chose to value the law of the eternal king. The kingdom of the eternal king. Other kings are too prideful to rescue us. Darius wouldn't break his pride to rescue Daniel. Our king in humility went to the cross to rescue us. Other kingdoms fade. His kingdom endures forever. Let me say something at the risk of sounding un-American. My hope is not in the U.S. of A. My hope is not in this kingdom, this country. Let me say something bold. America is not God's chosen people. Can I just say that? I know we all think it is. We will, we, I love America. I am proud to be an American. But I, don't, I flip through the scriptures and I don't see God saying... I will always bless America, or I will always love the United States of America. I see two different people that God says he will always bless, Israel and the church. Those are the biblical, what we see God saying, I put my seal of approval on them. I will bless their nations. I will bless the church. He says, I will build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We see those two kingdoms. So we tend to be, because we're Americans and we have the good lifestyle, we tend to think, well, our, you know, America was founded on the Bible, Ish, yes, sometimes, kind of. America is not God's chosen people. I pray for this country all the time. I ask God to put his blessing and his favor on it. But there's no scripture that says, because I'm American, that I've found the perfect kingdom and the perfect king. My hope cannot be in Democratic, Republican, or who's running for mayor of Scranton, or who's running for, you know, superintendent of some school district. My hope is not in political parties. My hope is that I'm a part of the kingdom of God. That I'm a part of his kingdom. That he's my king. He's the, he's the one that sets the rules and regulations for my life. That's what my hope is built in. I pray for America. I hope God blesses it. I hope God continues to give wisdom to our leaders, Democratic, Republican. I don't care. I hope God blesses and speaks truth to them. I think it's funny that we can get real prideful as, as Americans of being an American. We'll wave our flags, and for some reason, we want to hide that we're the ambassadors of his kingdom. We're happy to be citizens of this one, but we don't recognize the fact that we're ambassadors of his kingdom. 
of an eternal kingdom. Citizens of a temporal kingdom, ambassadors of an eternal kingdom. There should be some kind of thing in my heart that's like Daniel says, I don't really care what this kingdom says. I'm still going to pray and serve my God. I, this, is, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is the kingdom that I serve. I think it's funny that we go out to the store, we buy the biggest flag we could possibly get for our front yard, and then we go and get the smallest little Christian fish for our car. Look at this one. This one's a cute one. It's a little secret one. We're in a secret club. Put it on the back there, right underneath the license plate where nobody can really see it and nobody knows what it means unless they're a Christian, and then we're all in. We, that's secret. Waving our flags. We, got, we go to Old Navy every 4th of July and just plaster the red, white, and blue on us. I'm all about being American. I'm happy. When I was at the Dolphins game and they pulled out the massive flag, I don't know where they make that. Who, who makes a 70-yard flag? I don't know who makes these things. That's insane. But that came out. We're singing the, the Star Spangled Banner. I felt patriotic. It was a good feeling. But there's a different anthem that I, I subscribe to. There's a different kingdom that is eternal and I get more excited about. I get more excited about the eternal kingdom that I know what my king looks like. I know that he doesn't have pride. He doesn't have, he's a a loving God that wants to give blessings to his children. That in humility went to the cross, took the ultimate shame, the ultimate punishment of sin for my sake. He jumped into the lion's den for me. That's the kingdom that I want to be a church that gets excited about. That we get pumped up in worship that we get excited about prayer nights, that it becomes a lifestyle of what we do. This is just what I do. Sorry if I seem a little bit too passionate this morning, or maybe not enough for some of us. I'm sorry. It's just, I want us to, this to be in our DNA. I want us to see the value in this. I want you to see what our king looks like. Darius... Darius the Medo-Persian says this, and I'll I'll read it again. For he is the living God who enduring, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. He who has saved Daniel from the mouth of the lions. This is what our God looks like. This is the king that I serve. This is the kingdom that I'm a part of. And prayer is just a huge part of that. I went real, real quick, I want us to flip over to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let this, the, if you look in your Bibles, most of your Bibles will probably have this heading right over this part of Scripture. It says this, marks of a true Christian. So this is what it says. This is marks of a true Christian. So if you're wondering, am I a true Christian? These are the traits, the character traits of a true Christian. Look at this. Let your love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Here it is. Be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And we esteem them very highly in love because of their works. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good for one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, verse 17, pray without ceasing 
always seek to do good for one another, pray without ceasing. Marks of a true Christian, be constant in prayer, Romans. First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. When I look at Daniel, I see a guy who's determined to pray. When it's his time to pray, he values it. He doesn't pray when he's in the pit. He prays before he gets there. It's a lifestyle. Let me say one more thing in closing, if our worship team can come, come up here. Prayer is not supposed to be a private thing. You say, well, what about Jesus when he says about, okay, the fasting and the prayer and the hidden in the closet? That's, that's, that's somebody who's arrogant and prideful. Jesus, prayer is not supposed to be arrogant and prideful. But prayer is not also supposed to be something that's just a personal thing. I think in today's society, we want to create religion that's personal, private. Don't talk to me about religion. Don't tell me what you believe. Don't let me know you pray. It's all secret. It's our secret little sticker on the back of our car. We hide it. We have a t-shirt underneath of the other shirt that says, I pray. Prayer is not meant to be a private thing. Let me, let me say why real quick before I get into something else. As Christians, I believe that what I believe that my Christianity isn't another religion on the list of religions. Whichever one you want is good. They're all equal. I believe at the core of Christianity that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins, and he's the only way that I can have relationship with the Father who loves me and the only way that I get to spend eternity with him. So it's the ultimate gift. It's the ultimate joy. It's the ultimate everything. It's the, you've sinned, you've messed up, but you're forgiven freely in Christ. That's the core of it. So if I believe that, it would be pretty opposite of those verses that I just read to hide that inside of me and say, you know, I believe that this is the only way to have eternal grace and forgiveness and salvation and joy, but I'm just going to keep it secret. I'm going to hide it to myself. I believe that I should love my neighbors. I should, I should want the best for them, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them go ahead and just not know about Jesus, not know that I pray. I'm sorry if I, well, I'm not sorry if I offend somebody. It is what it is. This is the gospel. It's offensive to some and not to others. I believe that the cross is so valuable that people should know that I serve him. That's why when these other guys said, we can't find a fault in him, but we know he prays every day to his God. We know he does that. I don't want to be a Christian where people don't know that I'm a Christian, that I serve God, that I pray. Prayer is not meant to be something that, okay, only when I find spare time and I'll go hide in my closet right here and I'll just pray for a minute. Dear Jesus, help. That's not what prayer is supposed to be. It's, that's not what prayer is supposed to be at all. Is there times to go away and pray? Yes, because we get rid of distractions. But it's not meant to be something that we hide and nobody knows about. It's not. Tomorrow, I love that Hannah's got a passion for prayer. I want us all to have a passion and a value for prayer. Tomorrow we get to pray together. But tomorrow and tonight, you get to pray and make it a lifestyle. We get to make our value of worship and exalting him a lifestyle. get to.